My name is Klaus Kostel, and I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. You're listening to The Business of Extraordinary Experience. And with me in the studio today, I have Dave Zabowski. Dave has a lifetime behind him, and hopefully quite a few years ahead of him, as an experience designer, as somebody who provokes especially emotions in others. He has been a painter for almost all of his life. He works as a creative consultant, bringing creativity to people who maybe don't have enough of it. And he also has a past as an animator for Walt Disney feature animation. Dave, the first question I want to ask you, because you've actually already had a quite nice long career in making something experiential your life. If you could go back to Dave Zabowski, aged 20, and give him one piece of advice on how to make your life this, what would that be? That is, that is an excellent question. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I had an opportunity when I was at Disney, and, and I'll give you the same answer that, that I asked somebody this. Um, uh, when, I was at, when I was at Disney, just as I was beginning, there was a um, place where they had the um, animation research library. They called it the morgue, the place where all the drawings went to die. And I would go there every week to study all of the drawings there. And one day I ran into one of the nine old men. Didn't know that it was him, but it was a guy called Ollie Johnston. And Ollie Johnston uh, was there to look at a bunch of drawings. And I was, um, uh, I was there to study some of the, the um, Jungle Book drawings. And as I was looking at these double-bounce drawings from Jungle Book, I realized that Ollie Johnston had animated all of them. That the guy sitting in the room with me was the guy that had animated Baloo in uh, Jungle Book. And I was sitting in front of one of my heroes right there. And so I had a chance to, to sit with him for a couple of hours and ask him kind of that same question. I said to him, I'm at the beginning of my career. You're at the end of, of one of the great artistic careers of this century. Standing where I am, what do you think is the most important thing I need to know going forward? And he said, um, make it entertaining. He said that, that you can shift anything. You can change people's minds. You can uh, impact the world. You tell a story and make it entertaining. That's how I would answer that. That's a pretty good answer. Let's, uh, moving from that, and I think it's fair to say that you've been pretty successful in actually managing that. What has been some of the hard times? Have you ever been close to giving up and just thinking, I need to go get, as, as boring adults would call it, a real job? Yeah, you know, we creators, we creators, we stand on the edge of the known. We're kind of the border dwellers. We move consciousness forward at one step at a time. And typically we move into places that, um, that haven't been moved into before. And that gets lonely and scary and doubt filled. And so, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm 56 and I feel like I'm always just getting started. The rewards are spectacular. The communities that you create are deep and authentic. And that's what makes it worth it. But you got to be playing. If you're playing hard for the world, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, you're, you're playing for something that maybe is ahead of the curve of the rest of the world, and it gets challenging. And I would say, I mean, this is what I say to my team, at those moments when you are stressed out, at those moments when you are challenged and doubt-ridden, 
that's when you bring in your team. That's a flag in the in the landscape that says, oh, I'm going to need some help here. I'm going to need my team. And so I think that, you know, if you're not struggling at this time, if you're not depressed looking at the state of the world, you're not paying attention. And so now is the time to move into that place where we're not alone. We're not just a hero's journey. We're in a kindred quest. You got to call in your team. Calling in your team. Sometimes we also need to call in customers, clients, call them what you will. One of the things you do when you do it very well is you work as a creative consultant. Tell me a little bit about how this, this lifetime of creativity translates into a meeting with a business executive. Well, I mean, I think that that really is the challenge. You know, you see a need and then that need um, uh, has to be fulfilled. So one of the things that I'm seeing in the business world is this uh, space where there's production efficiencies, but not enough artistry, not enough heart, not enough uh, human connection. Technologies are, are changing at exponential rates right now. It's dizzying. And progress just because of progress, maybe, maybe we can rethink that a little bit. So one of the things that I've discovered is that artists, we have a way of turning thoughts into things with both production efficiency and artistry and heart. Like artists have systems and practices that can support the, the multipliers out there, the places in technology that can really make a difference if they could include a little bit of heart and artistry. So um, the challenge that I've always found is how do we bridge that gap? How do you talk to technologists about love? And what is that entry-level conversation that is that ramp between mind and heart? And that's my biggest challenge right now. For those of us who live in the creative world, who live in that place where emotion is, is equally as valid a creative driver as mind, how do you, how do you uh, describe divinity and love and consciousness to someone who is operating really powerfully and only mind and to do it without judgment, to be able to bridge that because you know that they're caring people, that they want to make the world a better place. They maybe don't have the, the tools and practices. And so that's one of the things that I find challenging is that we need a rapprochement. We need that, 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 um, that gathering together of, of information. And in fact, that's why I think experience design is so exciting, because that's the place where you can, you can manufacture an experience that is designed to bridge mind and heart, and that gets people moving so much faster than just trying to describe that to them. Does that make sense? I think it makes some sense, but I think it also has, and, and this is, of course, an occupational hazard, it can easily get a bit abstract. Let's let's pull it. Let's let's take this because I think it's interesting. Let's turn it into a national example. Because if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that if somebody wants to go out and do the next Silicon Valley Uber startup, they should remember to have in their team not just the people who can build the tech and have the vision and, and scale the business model, but also an artist or two who can make sure that it has a little bit of heart and soul. Yeah, yeah. I think it's time for for us to compare notes. <clears throat> I think we've moved forward with mind, 
so beautifully and we've moved forward with heart in our in our arts and now it's time to start to compare notes and that's where it gets tricky how do we speak to each other so uh to ground it like some of the things that i do some of the things that we do in the art world are drawing class a uh, model sits on a model stand and then we observe and make marks to <laughs> simulate the thing that's in front of us that's a skill that gets practiced over time you know you have a three-hour session you do several drawings but it's not just the drawing that happens in that room there's so much more than making marks on paper and so that's some of the things that i do with with companies is an invitation to explore how do we see more clearly how do we use our other skills than just the coordination of drawing how do we feel into bridging the gap between the seer and the scene so that we are not just dealing with an object in front of us but that we can find ourselves in it that we lessen the division between the object and the and the observer and that we practice seeing truly not just making an eye that's an almond shape but really seeing something clearly you don't have to be able to make a perfect mark at it but you can because that's a practice but you can improve your seeing right now and i think that that is also one of the purviews of the artist that's the world of the artist is to actually see true and i think that the world could use some of that right now i i agree with you on that i think definitely the world could use some of that right now Let's let's jump for a little bit uh, a little bit back in your career to what is arguably the world's most successful experience design company, Disney. Tell me a couple of things that you took away from Disney, because of course they took some 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 time from you and some amazing artwork. But what did you take away from Disney that you've been able to to use for the rest of your life? Oh well, clearly that place was a master factory. I mean for. 80 years they had been operating at a level of artistry that required mastery and so you could come in as a good artist but that was never enough and so the thing that happened there was it became a cauldron for for cultivating practices for mastery and because we were telling a story that was bigger than any of the egos involved you were able to be additive to everybody in in the process so that we all raised each other up and that i think was a spectacular lesson that is one of the things that i um am intending to bring into the companies that i work with that there are practices for being additive that we called plusing for being being able to believe in a project that's bigger than any ego so that every ego that was in on it and let me tell you, there were some of the best artists of any time working at Disney, and all of them were able to, to subsume their egos in service to a story that was bigger than any of them, and we knew it. And that was a really powerful key to us collaborating a thousand people pointing in the same direction. And let me tell you, there's a bunch of artists. These were wild horses, like how you get <laughs> wild horses all pointing in the same direction. You have to tell a big story. And so, yeah, there were there were gifts uh, uncountable that I got, not just the relationships of being able to 
work with someone else who's a master and have diamonds polish diamonds but but other pieces like knowing how to tell a bigger story knowing how to work on a magnum opus knowing what's required to give it your all over the long run not just the short term all but like playing for playing for being great in my 80s in my 90s in my 100s like everything i do now is uh is creating that future structure like i'm playing for the highest mastery that this incarnation is capable of and that's some stuff that you learn from from working with other masters one other thing that you get out of, and, and this is again jumping a little bit back to the kind of business career side, is I don't think it's any secret that once you have Walt Disney on your, your CV, it makes it a little bit easier because you have a, you have a good stamp. Somebody is already, if you've been there, then you obviously know your stuff. If, if you had to give some advice to other creatives, do you feel that it's, it's not only worth it as a human being, but also might be a smart career move to kind of join some of the big players and then later strike out on your own or do you feel it, it's better to do it the other way around you know the cultures have changed in the corporate world when i got hired at disney um there was a uh, a, a national portfolio search and then an internship and so when i got hired at disney they were hiring two or three artists a year the vetting process was incredibly intense and when I got the position, when they laid the contract in front of me, I had this total anxiety attack because I thought, oh my God, I will never have another job in my life. You know, <laughs> like there are guys that worked at Disney. You know, there was one guy there, Carl Bell. Every piece of clothing he had was Disney. His tie, his cufflinks, his socks. Every time he crossed his legs, his socks, you know, I figured probably his underwear also. He had Disney on his glasses. He'd been there for 45 years. And and then you realize, well, you get a 35% a discount at the Disney store. Everything is going to be Disney, right? All your T-shirts, your underwear, your bathing suits, all, you know, every gift you give for your family for Hanukkah, it's all Disney, right? So, um, so uh, I had this terrible anxiety attack that I thought, oh, my God, I will never have another job. Well, that's not the case anymore. You know, you don't have corporations that people can work at for 40 years. Uh, retire, get a gold watch, and die. That does not happen. We we live created lives, and so when you live a created life, you're not going to be taken care of by a corporation. And any illusion that you were working in a corporation that you think is going to take care of you, that may not be the case either. Though, as an aside, I do see some softening in that because um, job retention is is a, a critical piece of any corporation's longevity. But here's what I would say. Um, one of the factors that was powerful at Disney was that we went deep, that you had a chance to go vertical on something. And that, I think, is available to anybody. You don't have to work at a big corporation, but there is mentorship out there. And mentorship is a chain that runs both ways. So find somebody ahead of you on the curve, find somebody else that's offering something that may be not ahead of you on the curve, but that um, can that is in the same trajectory. And find something that you can go deep on and something else that you can go a little bit deep on. Innovation happens when there's cross-pollination. 
So being just good at one thing, like just a certain kind of coding or just drawing toes, that's not going to help you. But getting a deep knowledge on something and then having a peripheral hobby or an interest, those are things that you can manage yourself right now. You can go to the Khan Academy and get um, free teaching online. You can hack your education in ways that's never been possible before. And you can get, you can go deep on the same kind of skills that you might get if you were in a, a corporation. Ironically, it, it ties very well with something that's, that's popular in the consulting industry, which is the idea of the T-shaped consultant, that you have somebody who has broad knowledge and, and can speak with, uh, with kind of impact on a lot of subjects, but then has very deep knowledge on a couple of subjects. So, so you have the broad base, the, the kind of the, the slash of the T, and then you have the, the horizontal line, which is the, well, the T itself. And uh, I don't know if that ma- explanation made any sense. Yeah, no, I, honestly, I, I think I might even imagine it more like an H these days because you, you kind of have to be able to go deep on a couple of things and figure out how to bridge them. That is beautiful. That, that bridge is, is where the innovation happens. Somewhere along that bridge, somewhere down in the process, deep in it, you find a place where these two things connect and that's where innovation happens. I'm just going to Google H-shaped consultant because if nobody else has uh, has coined that, then uh, then we're coining it right here and right now. Dave Zaboski, the H-shaped consultant, beautiful and and very sharply put. Dave, if if we're going to to step a little bit back and and get some absorbed wisdom from over the years, what are three tips? Three good tips from you to experienced designers. And again, remember the focus here is not on their craft itself, but all, on all the stuff around it, all the stuff that is not the thing in itself, but is usually the that, thing that allows you to pay rent. Right. Uh, well, I, I think the first thing is have a great story. Story is everything. In fact, I'm teaching a workshop at a conference in November for animation artists called Story is Everything. Um, it's the it there's two stories there's the story you're telling and then there's the story of the storytellers we can go deep more deeply into that if you like but that's the that's the um that's the place to understand as an experienced designer who you are and what you're creating so as an experienced designer there's a story of all of us experienced designers who are we as experienced designers and here's the story we're mother love and talent right mm-hmm. so so having a, a clarity that separates both the story you're telling and the story of the storyteller so that you get a clear idea of your um, raison d'etre, the, the nothi seyuton, that place that says, I, I know thyself. So I think that the three things would be, who do you want to delight? Who yeah. are you that's telling the story? And what story do you want to tell? And that who you want to delight, that's really critical because you can't just delight everybody. The person you want to delight or that group that you want to delight, that's the one that's also going to be helping pay your bills. So I guess what you're saying is that if you choose that the people you want to delight are, are all broke students, then you better figure out a different way to pay your bills because they're not going to be very helpful there. But you may end up delighting them a lot. Well, yes. I'm not saying I know you wouldn't put it that way, but that's because I'm a horrible person. 
no, no, but I like, like, um, you know, there is altruism and there is uh, service. I think that that um, that that's a, a, another place to play. You know, a lot, we're in this time now because corporations aren't able to support you for forty years and build that skill. People are like, well, what's my purpose? How do I find what my purpose is? Where do I go? You know, Mark Zuckerberg's whatever, twenty nine or thirty or whatever, and he's got a billion dollars. Am I far behind? Am I blowing it? How do I find my purpose? And I would say, f that. That it's not about finding your purpose. It's about finding your service. Who do you want to serve? And if it's broke students that you want to serve, how do you want to serve them? You want to serve them to remain broke? Do you want to serve? Like, what is that piece? And then inside of that, you you will find other collaborators. You will find other people whose purpose it is to be in service to broke students or the homeless or other other populations that need love and being in that service, you will find other people with purpose and those people with purpose will give you a credible example of how to live a purposeful life. And they probably have figured out some systems in their purpose to support that purpose being supported by the universe. You don't have to make it all up. You have to figure out who you want to serve. And then you want to delight them. And the more you delight them, I think that that's where the return on investment happens, both monetarily, even though you may not see it and it doesn't seem logical right now, and spiritually, emotionally, culturally, it's also fulfilling. And those are values that also count. Very much so. And, and interesting that what you're saying here is, is, if I hear you correctly, essentially the same as when you talked about mastery, that you find somebody who's further along on the curb, who's, who's been in your shoes, and then you ask them, how do, I, how do I get from here to there? Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel every time, that if you're, if you're trying to go out there, you find out who you want to delight and what you want to serve them with, and then you find somebody who can help you do that, preferably somebody who has maybe done it before or done something similar. Is that a, a fair presentation of what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, I would say like, to me, story, because story is so valuable, I think it's really fascinating to look at the evolution of story. You know, we are evolving from this story. I mentioned that term earlier, kindred quest. We're evolving from the story of the hero's journey, that thing where I'm a hero, I'm going to go out, the whole Star Wars thing, right? Like I get a, a calling, I meet an old guy who gives me a mission and I go and fight a bad guy and I get some elixir from that bad guy and then eventually I return to my own garden better for it. And I think that that story is beautiful. It's important. We need our hero's journey. And then what? What happens after that hero's journey? And the way I've heard it and Joanna Macy and Paul Hawking and some really um, uh, beautiful thought leaders of our time talk about the kindred quest, that moment where the hero now joins with other heroes and they use their inimitable skills to tell a bigger story, to solve a bigger challenge. And I think that that's the time that we're in right now. So I listen for conversations that are about the age of reunion and not the age of separation. That's kind of my fulcrum point, right? my, my cleave point. You know, If it's a conversation about the age of reunion, if it's a conversation about how do we work more beautifully together? Then that I think is where the future lays. And so we're out of practice. 
go ask a mentor. You, you, you don't just get mentor because you're good at something or hopeful at something. You get mentor because you ask for it. You ask for it from those who are behind you on the curve and from those who are in front of you on the curve. And when you create that chain of mentorship, then the acceleration is dizzying. Uh, that's one of the things that I got from Disney was that we were all there to tell a bigger story, to be on a kindred quest and to support each other in our practices and pursuit for mastery. I, for me, that hits home. One of the things I've regretted most as an entrepreneur is that I didn't have a mentor. And, and now that I do some of that myself and I have mentors, even though I'm a little bit older, then I realized that was just a huge mistake. So, so this, this hits me exactly where I live. <laughs> yeah, and you know, one of the things that I learned too, Klaus, and, and one of the challenges maybe for our, our generation is that the generation ahead of us um, had some m maybe different cultural concepts about it. You know, um, my dad and his friends, they were like, okay, you're a grown up. Our work is through. You know? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I, you know, I, I found that disappointing, you know, like, like, hey, my knees are hurting. Is anybody going to tell me about that? Like, what are the, what are some of the things that I need to know as I grow older? Um, that could be helpful, that I don't have to make those discoveries myself, that maybe um, we could advance the conversation. And so I realized that a couple of years ago. And in fact, um, Barnett Bain was one of my mentors when I was younger. And I called him a couple of years ago and I was like, hey, I miss you. I, I'm looking for some mentorship again. Can we reconnect? And then we did. And then we ended up seeing each other several times that year, including at the College of Extraordinary Experiences, where we ended up there from two totally different paths. <laughs> well, sometimes random coincidences lead to happy meetings. Yeah. yeah we're going to we're going to leave the happy for a little bit. Sure. We're going to we're going to talk about the dark side. We're going to talk about the pain because beneath one of the things I admire about you is your your state of zen and your positivity and your love for the world and your fellow human being. But if we scratch that aside for a moment, when, when, where's the rage? Where's the pain? Yeah, man, it is, especially in America right now, the dark is having its day. And it is easy to succumb to the melancholy and the, and the pain of, um, of the bullshit that's going on right now. And it's also uh, time to make your practices harder to, to, to play harder for the light. Um, you know, I'm an artist. We're sensitive. We feel all of it. Uh, it's easy to go south. And so you need practices. Um, I'm not saying that the dark is bad. And I, I, on occasion, love falling into my sketchbook and making something dark. I have a, uh, a capacity to have that expression be very facile for me so i can go and you know i showed you that painting of of me you know that i did last night as an exploration of the dark and the light of me so um sure and and even though our listeners can't of course see the painting it was a it was a stern version of dave it was dave as the the 17th century general not dave as the kind of kindly teacher and that's also another practice, like a self-portrait is a practice of self-examination. So that's one of my practices. When, I, when, it gets, 
when it gets dark, I look at who, who I am and who I know myself to be is, a, you know, I'm a player for the light. And so that includes despair and recognizing it and grief and recognizing it and knowing that really close to my grief is a kind of gratitude that is the ground floor of my being. And when I can uh, engage my grief, and there's a lot of it, there's a lot of it for how the world that I was promised isn't. But then I can find some gratitude next to it. And in that space, I can engage um, others. And I share these practices for how to operate creatively as powerfully as possible because I freaking forget them. And I need my friends who I teach them to to help remind me. And so, yeah, it is. it gets dark out there and we we can't do it alone. We need each other. And so when I... I'm hurting, and man, I, my daughter and wife are also both super sensitive. So we have to stay diligent, and that's all we can do right now. I think that leads to a, a pretty nice rounding off. One thing that I, I want to address before that is if people want to reach you, if they want to know more about what you're doing or they want to, to connect somehow, where do they find you? Do they walk the streets of Santa Barbara in, in the U.S. West Coast, or are you on Twitter, or where, where do you find Dave Zabosky? Yeah, those, the streets of Santa Barbara is a, is a good bet. Look for a painter with crazy white hair and a, and a, a, a new beard that looks old. Um, but uh, uh, you can find me on Instagram at, at Dave Z Art, just the at Dave Z Art on Instagram. And then we have a, a website where we're doing a lot of experience design um, through our artistry called arttemple.org. And Art Temple is, uh, if there's any artistry inclination in you at all, a desire for it, um, or wish, or a full-blown expression of it, Art Temple is for you. We do a lot of West Coast festivals. We're doing an event at the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, and it is a uh, it's kind of a space where Da Vinci's uh, workshop meets a sultan's tent in service to the artistry in all of us. And so it's manned by professional artists. There's drawing classes and panel discussions and look for Art Temple at a West Coast festival. That's a, that's a good place to find us. And you're always welcome there. Thank you. And we're, of course, talking the U.S. West Coast for those who were in any sort of doubt. Oh, that's Not right. the French one. There's coasts out there. <laughs> so Dave thank you for sharing insights thank you for sharing both some of your more professional insights and some of the emotional ones it has been an absolute pleasure and as we round off I want to tell all of our listeners out there you've been listening to the business of extraordinary experiences you've had Dave Zabosky, the pleasure of his company and I've been your host Klaus Rostov thank you for listening thank you